Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, 1 through 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Amen. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, It is good to see many of you here. It's also, um, although... We're not seeing everybody here because some of you are still streaming it online. We welcome everybody here, new and old, those who are plugged into community, those who have not yet been able to do so. We are a community for the convinced and the unconvinced. And therefore, um, as a church, as we start off this fall, many of us have been away from Lincoln Square for a while. A lot of us are new as, as we just listened to a, a, a testimony and therefore, I think it's, it's imperative, it's appropriate for us to begin the fall with a short series looking at the vision and mission of the church. Now, if you think that's boring, it's not. And the reason why it's not is because you have integrity. You should not want to, as I think Bruce said earlier, you should not want to be part of an institution that you don't fully understand and maybe don't fully agree with, but you say, I'm behind that. I want to be part of that. Because vision, what's vision? Vision is just why we do what we do, it's how we do it, and unless you have that, you can't do it. So I would like for us to be on the same page. I hope that you would like for us to be on the same page, even if you're not sure what you believe, even if you're on that sort of, that, that spectrum of doubt. I still believe this can be a, a profound and life-changing community, not just for yourself, but for, for the city itself. I think it will surprise people inside the church. It can surprise people outside the church. And so let's get excited. Let's do this together. Let's let's dream together what this place could be as we reimagine coming out of this pandemic what this place is. And so to do that, we need to figure out how do we live out our vision, our vision to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. That The next four weeks, we're going to dissect that statement. We're going to say, what does that look like? How could we possibly do this? 
Frankly, those are just a bunch of words if you think about it. We have to infuse them with meaning. What does it look like to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city? So today, first day, first word, we're going to look at the word joy. What does it mean that to live joyfully? How can we live joyfully? And to answer that question, the text that we're looking at might be some of the theme verses of this church. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, where what we see here in Acts, the book of Acts, is a historical document. It's a historical account of what the early church went through, the step-by-step movement of how it formed. And so what we find here in Acts 8 is the church is still culturally and geographically and racially homogenous, that they hadn't left the, the, the cultural and geographical confines of, the, of its origin, Judea. Which, as I was thinking about it this week, that's actually very, there's a lot of parallels we could make to the church today, to us today. It's very eerily similar in our historical moment. Though the church in the West, the past thousand years that, that the church has inhabited, generally speaking, it's been monocultural. That people, more or less, that came to faith were people who were religious, people with traditional values, people that had huge social pressures to go to church. And the truth is, that's all gone today. 2021, New York City today, right now, what we have now is people that don't have those, that, those, those same convictions. They don't have those same values. And so just like Acts chapter 8, there were believers in the city, and the question is, is how are they going to go out? We as Redeemer Lincoln Square have to ask that question to people who are increasingly skeptical. We are increasingly skeptical. To people who are more culturally diverse, more urban, more more individuals who lack the necessity of belief or what they think is belief. And so to understand our vision, let's look today, let's look at the source of joy, let's look at the product of joy, and let's look at the purpose of joy. So source, product, and then purpose of joy. So first, the source of joy. Go back to our text. The progression's simple. It starts in verse one. It says there's persecution, which God always uses bad things to get good. And this is another, one more example of that. It broke out against the church, it says in Jerusalem. And then you skip down to verse 4. The scattered people, it says those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now I know that's a religious word, the word preached, but in Greek it's not. It's the, it's the Greek word evangelizo, which means, if you want to do the literal translation, it means literally to uh, good news. In Acts, that word had only been used once up until this point. But here, in this chapter, it's used five times. And then often afterwards, meaning the church had not been good-newsing other people until this moment. But now they are. They're good news. And good news, by the way, is not just uh, speaking to somebody or talking or boring them out of their mind. Good-newsing is that which leads to joy, that which, it's the goodness that leads to joy. So you say, what, what, what's the content of that? Go to the next verse, verse 5. It says that it was the proclamation of the Messiah. And the Greek word for Messiah, by the way, is the word Christ. So put it all together, and that means this is news that leads to joy, and it's the life and death of Jesus Christ. Now, before your, your eyes glaze over, and some people start tuning me out because I start saying these phrases, you should ask how does that bring joy? And I think the answer is 
It's because this is news that's categorically different than any other news you're ever going to hear. I'm, I, I feel very strong about this, that every other paradigm that you will ever hear essentially has the same foundational makeup. It essentially says this, if you do, then you will be. If you perform, then you will be accepted. Here's the list. This, there's a, by the way, there's a religious version of this, but as you're seeing in real time, there's a non-religious version of say these phrases, act this way, do these actions, and then you're in. Christianity is the only faith that I know of that says you're in. You're already accepted. And now you actually have the possibility to finally do. Every other um, paradigm, by the way, every paradigm demands change. But every other paradigm demands change. The way they, 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 they do change is through enforcing power on you. So what does that mean? It means we, we cancel people because we want them to perform our way. We, we pressure them. We, uh, you can physically do that, but you can also shame them. You can, you can manipulate them. You basically use your power to make them do what you want them to do. So pick, by the way, you can go, go online to social media, pick any political or social issue right now, look at the people on both sides, and what you'll see it's just people bashing each other into submission using their platform and, and power. But the frank, frankly, that never works. How do I know it never works? Because a morally conformed heart is just a socially restrained heart. It's not a supernaturally changed heart. I'll say that again. You can morally conform somebody, but, but all you're doing is you're socially restraining them. You're not actually categorically changing them. That means you can guilt trip somebody, you really can. You can, you can shame them, you can, you can even make them maybe outwardly conform for a while, but that never inwardly actually changes them. And the text, I think what this text is saying is the only way somebody will actually change permanently and really is this encounter with joy that comes from the good news. And you say, where's the proof? Go again, in this text, the person doing this is, that goes down for, to Samaria is Philip in verse 5. What you need to know is Philip as a Jew, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. So why would they go to the people who they hated the most? And I think, I mean, I've been racking my brain. What kind of internal reason would he ever do this? The only logical reason would, to go good news these people is because it was good news to him first. That the gospel is, I was an outsider, now I'm an insider. And therefore, if you hold that, if Philip held that, now he can go to moral, racial, social, economic outsiders and make them insiders as well. He couldn't, I don't believe he could have done that until it was done to him first. Because I don't think there's any other life-changing, permanent transformation and power on earth that can make you do that. See, I think he could only offer change to the good news because the good news changed him first. So that preached word, the, the evangelizo, the, the good news, what was that? It, what, was, what was proclaimed was he died so now he get, Jesus died so now that he lives. Jesus was put out so now that he's in. And that, friends, that essence is the source of our joy. That if it's true, and this is where we have to do some work, if it's true that he took the penalty of sin 
If that's true, then and he's off the hook now. Now he could go to people who he's been trained his whole life to not let off the hook. He can now say, hey, I was let off the hook. I can let you off the hook now. That is what the good news embedded in our hearts does. It is what it does. It transforms the relationships to others, to ourselves. Because if Jesus died for me now, now I can die for thee. And so before we move on, I want to ask, is this good news to us? It, does this joy come into our life? To joyfully live as reflections, what that means, why, the reason why that word's first is because it has to be the engine by which everything else happens. The joy is the driving force behind it. And by the way, this is how it always works, right? You only reveal love to other people if you love something. You, if something's beautiful to you, you tend to share that beauty. So for instance, if you love cooking, you share that cooking. If you love a particular book, you want other people to love that book. A Netflix series. You get more joy from a Netflix series when you, you tell other people they enjoy it, and then you get to relive that joy. That's how it always works. And this is no different. And so the question is, is, have we found this freedom found in this joy? Because the good news is I was wrong and he made things right. The good news is I rightly should be out, but now I'm in. I can't, but he can. I won't, but he will. It's that over and over and over again. So if we say we believe this, but we don't feel it, we don't experience it, if it's not what part of our presence, I worry that we actually haven't actually worked through what the joy of this good news means in our life, ultimately. I don't know if we have. And by the way, if you don't believe this, some of you are more on, on, that, on, on that spectrum. What you should be doing is, is locating the essence of what's holding you back. Is it the concept of belief in and of itself? The, the, if that's true, you need to know everybody believes something. We say this a lot here at, at Lincoln Square. If you even say, I don't believe... That's a, you're believing that I don't have to believe. There's, there's still a trust that's happening in that statement. There's no way around it. Maybe it's because you're saying, well, this is, this is, this is too easy. This is too easy. No. Then you haven't thought through the, the, the cost of, to Christ. The cross cost Christ more than we can possibly imagine. If you say this is too hard, Jesus says, come all ye who are weary and I will give you rest for I am gentle and lowly. Joy, friends, comes out. Unfortunately, it doesn't just, it's not like an elixir. It doesn't just hit you. It, ha- it comes to those who work out the implications of the meaning in their lives. That's the source for all joy, to joyfully live as reflections. Okay. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. Number two. How about the product? The product of joy, if the first part of our vision is to discover the source, then the question is, if this is in our hearts, if it overflows, then what does joy produce? And if we go back to our text, look at it again. The, The words preached, 
Philip went, and then in verse 6, it says, when the crowds heard Philip, when they heard it, when they heard him, that's the evangelizo, and saw the signs performed. And you say, okay, what were the signs? Well, the, the list here is manifold. There, there's, there's supernatural signs. There's, uh, you know, miracles. But also, it, looks, it says, the paralyzed were healed and the lame were cared for. Now, many people today, we pass right over that, but here's what's going on there. It's one thing to have the content of the good news, and that's really important. That's, that is the driving force, as we said. But notice, it was people's physical needs that were being met. Notice there was, there was a material, tangible nature to what was happening there. And so joy comes from the good news, but the product is actually these deeds of service that was interacting with these people. And I think this is something very unique to Christianity. I don't know if you know this, but 2,000 years ago during R- Roman rule, when Christianity was, ex- was, was, um, was just taking root, the Romans had a very common practice, is that if you did not want a baby, you would put, leave that baby out in the elements, expose them, and they would, it would die. It was called infanticide, and it actually happened mostly to women, to girls, because they were, they were more unwanted in that culture. Christians, in response, as soon as they showed up, they started making orphanages and caring for not just their own, but anyone else that would leave a baby on their doorstep. Just, just like that. Christians were also the first people who bridged people across racial and ethnic lines. You say, well, where do you see that? Go to every single major religion, historically. Find its origin. And what you'll see is that major religion is still located mostly in that origin. Islam is mostly still in the Middle East. Hinduism is still mostly in India. What we find in this text is Christianity, yes, it started in Jerusalem. Here, right? It's right here, Acts chapter 8. And yet, global Christianity today is not centered in Jerusalem anymore. It's mostly in South America, it's in Africa, it's in Asia. And what's happening there is what, what, what's going on? What cultural anthropologists, what a, what a lot of these folks will tell you is that humanity by nature is kin-based. We tend to stay within our own people groups, racially, geographically. But cultural evolutionary theorist Joseph Heinrich points out in his new book, he says... Christianity was different because they were the first people that in intergendered marriage, you were not allowed to marry somebody who was close to your family, a cousin. You weren't allowed to marry somebody close to you. It was, it was, it was against its ethos. And so that forced people outside that family. And when that happened, all the laws, the codes, that all changed. And it became, therefore, the first and only major multi-ethnic religion. People don't think about that. They don't, they, they don't, they haven't, Walked through the steps. So go back through the list I just gave you. Christianity values life even when culture doesn't. It values diversity before culture did. Right Today we do now, but why? Because we're on the other side of a post-Christian world. Thirdly, back 2,000 years ago, there was a sexual double standard. Men were allowed to have sex with whomever they wanted. Women and wives were not allowed to. And that was misogyny. That was sexist. It was unfair. And Christianity said No. But think about this. Okay, I'm talking about uh, values, but what are these values? These are actually deeds of service. How do I know that? Because a Christian, as they live out their lives, as they affect culture, as they move into the world, the product is joy. It rises out of changed lives. And here's why. Let me tell you why. 
if you understand what it means to be saved by grace. Go to Matthew chapter 11. You know what Jesus does? It says there, he says, I praise your, the Father. Which is really interesting. Jesus is praising God. He's getting joy, enjoyment from God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect enjoyment. Perfect praise. And then on the cross, what is he saying? My God, my God, why do you forsake me? He's lost the joy. It's gone. Why did he give up the joy? We're told in, in, in other passages in the Bible, it's because of the joy set before him. What was that? The only possible joy that he was willing to give up all the universe, all his connection to God, for what? For you. And when a Christian realizes that, when it brings tears to our eyes, not just, I mean, tears of joy, Knowing that we're saved by grace, the product of that is never self-focused. The product is always external. This church, if we're going to live joyful reflections of God's love, it will lead out with deeds of service. Not forced out, but we want out into the world. Of course, I've lived in this town for a very long time. Our problem in this town is the highest values in this town is money and time. And as you know, time is money, so it's really the same thing. Uh, my, my brother who works for the city, he uh, um, sent me this, this stat from uh, Marissa Lago. She was the director of, of the Department of Planning in 2018. She points out that the, the GDP, the gross domestic product of, of New York City in the surrounding area is $1.7 trillion. That is around 10% of the entire nation's GDP. And it puts us, if we were a separate country, somewhere between South Korea and Russia. That's a lot of dough. And it's because it's the value of this place. It's what we put our time and effort and stamina into. And yet, it's important to say this, when we stress those things, it, it clouds out the ability to produce joy. It clouds out the ability because our busyness means we don't have the time to serve. We don't have the time to sit and get in groups and listen and talk with each other and, and give and gather and grow and go and all these things. And I love this town. I'm, I'm probably going to die in this town. I live here most of my life, but this is the cultural idol that we're going to have to fight. If this, is, if this is what it means to be Lincoln Square, it means we're going to have opportunities. We're going to have places for community and service and action and I've been here long enough, but everybody's excited the first time we do something. Everybody's kind of excited the second time, and by the third time, it's like, you know, i got other things I can do. We have to work against that because our busyness is the problem. So therefore, we can't just ask, do I have joy? Because I do ask you that. The, qu- the second question is, where am I letting that joy out? Redeemer Lincoln Square is to be a church of word and deed. See, go back to that text. Philip went down, and it says that when the crowds heard and saw the signs he performed, it's deeds as well. So feeding the hungry, caring for the sick. Uh, when plagues happen, right, pl- look at history. Plagues happen all the time. The church historically consistently goes into the places when pandemics happen. I'm really glad, personally, um, the media is no longer talking about how the city is dead. Remember that last year? New York City is dead. I mean, now nobody's saying that. You know why? Because it was never the case. But guess what? If, let's say it was. 
You know what Christians should be doing? We should have flocked to those dead places. We should have gone into them. And I'm not saying this place isn't fully healed. I mean, the city's still hurting. Therefore, why should you live here and not someplace cheaper or cleaner? The answer is because this is the place where joy and the product of joy is needed. And are we going to be? Are we going to go on mission for that? Because I mean, how do I say this? This is going to be harsh. You were not created. Sorry, you were not created and put on this earth just to accrue enough money so that you can go live a comfortable life somewhere else. You you weren't. And I promise you, the world says that's what's going to bring joy. It won't. Look at the stats. The stats say that statistically, actually, joy, happiness is correlated with money, up to about forty thousand dollars. But after that, which is basically your bare essentials, after that, it doesn't keep making you happier. It doesn't actually bring more joy. This does, that you were created for it, and you will get it to the degree that you sit in the source of this joy and then live it out and produce it. Will you do it with us? Can we do it together? Will you do it together with us? And so lastly, last point, the purpose of joy. It's realized in verse 8, probably my favorite verse So there was great joy in that city. Now, it sounds like a concluding verse, but actually it it summarizes sort of our vision and our mission. That to really live out the vision, to joyfully live as reflections of God's love, the purpose of joy means that this can only happen if we bring joy to the city. So let me quickly just give you three tangible ways that joy has to be be created in the city. Three tangible ways. Well, number one, This joy has to be an end in and of itself. I know we're consumers by nature. We've been formed that way by our culture. So we're like, what what do I need to do to get? What if the literal enjoyment of God, communion with him, union with him, through time and prayer and talking and eating and discussing and relating and reflecting on his promises, words, and life, what if that is the joy in and of itself? That means when we contrast, it's like, well, should I read my Bible? Should I do this today? Oh, I got all these other things I need to do. That, 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 right there, when you start equating that, like in that world, it means you've already lost the battle because the joy has to be an end in of itself. Years ago, there was a doctor, a medical doctor. He gave up his practice to go into ministry, and it, it actually made headlines. So a reporter came to him and said, because he was pretty famous, he said, why would you do this? Not only that, was it really worth it? It was sort of after the fact. Was it worth it that you did it? You know what his answer was? His answer was, what do you mean, was it worth it? I gave up nothing, and I gained everything. In other words, the things that we lose were never, the things that he lost were never things that were ever going to fully stay in eternity. And so do you see, if you have him, you give up nothing, but you gain everything. I'm not saying everybody has to quit their jobs. In fact, you could actually find through your jobs this same meaning. So can you say you have joy like this? Because if you don't, it's possible we haven't actually worked out the implications. We haven't actually worked out what does it mean to taste and see the Lord is good. It has to be an end of itself, one. Two, if you have this joy, when suffering happens, when things are taken from you, your joys will be taken from you. Material joys, relational joys, physical joys, your health these things can be taken from you, but, it, but what this means is Jesus' promises never could, never will be taken from you. 9-11, as we've been reflecting on it this past weekend, uh, it hit me a lot more than it, it normally did this yesterday. 
It's one of those times when we're counting the losses. We're, going, we're, we're thinking through those we lost. We're thinking through what we, the, the innocence we, we were thinking that was lost. We're thinking through it all. And I started asking the question, well, what, why did this happen? Why did this, and, and I think that's actually a natural inclination. Why did this happen to me? But joy in the Lord changes the question away from why is this happening to me to now that it's actually happening, what do I do about it? That's a fundamentally different question. The first one focuses on self. What, and it focuses on what I no longer have. But the second question says, what do I do now? Since I still have him, what do I do in this place that I am at? A minister once long ago said this. He said, if God is who he says he is, if the Bible's true, all bad things will turn out for good. All ultimately good things will never leave you. And the best is yet to come. I love, I love that encapsulation because what that means is if the promises of Christ are true, if I live, he'll be with me, and if, if I die, I'll be with him. If that's actually at the essence of who we are, then all the truly bad things that have happened, make the list, economic, cultural crises, all that list, all of them ultimately, I don't know how, but they will, ultimately will turn out for good. And all really good things, the things that we're afraid of losing, the really good things, ultimately you will never lose. And the best is yet to come if he's in our future. And that means there's so much joy, more joy than we can even imagine, more love than we can imagine. Armed with that truth, nothing ultimately can ever frighten us. No loss can ultimately get us down because there's infinite hope and love in this world. And if you have that Friends, you can lose those joys, and you will. People might sneer at you for what you value as your joy. You might lose some friends. You might have people forsake you. You will lose a lot of things, but you'll never lose. But what you lose will be nothing in comparison to what you've gained. Last point, thirdly. We see here when when joy is really in you, ultimately, it will also confront you. It has to. It will confront you how we conceive of ourselves, our identity as an individualist. I know that most of us who've come to the city or we grew up in the city, we're still using the city. We're still consuming the city. We've been, we've been made that way. We've been formed that way. Maybe it's to make a name. Maybe it's to make some money. But as Christians, this is saying, if this is good news, then our joy is wrapped up in the joy of the city. Really, we should be asking ourselves, in everything we do at Lincoln Square, how does this bring joy to the city? What would that look like? Because we will rejoice to the degree that it does. I believe, therefore, many of you listening, streaming in, I think we have been planted here for such a time as this. To wake up, to not just using this place and consuming it, but to serve and welcome and give and gather and grow and go and all those things. Not because I have to, but because I was served first, like Philip, and now I want to. I want to go out. I think there's a, there's a ton of service opportunities at Lincoln Square that you'll see over the year. There's a ton of opportunities outside this, this church as well. And the mirth of his love can cascade from our lips into our attitudes and out into our actions then. Did you know that in Manhattan, your, your fellow New Yorkers, less than 6% of, of individuals are practicing Christians? We wanted that to change. Why? Because we want joy in the city. Guess what? If people don't change, 
If they don't become Christians, by the way, not everybody did in this city. What are we going to do? We're going to serve them and love them. Why? Because we want joy in the city. That means hospitality, inviting people over, forming ourselves, growing in who he is and what he is and what he does. And that means catalyst classes, community groups. That means all this stuff. Yes, COVID is a challenge, but we don't get to choose our circumstances. All we get to choose is how we're going to respond to them. And that means, I don't know why this pandemic happened. I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think the better question is, now that it has, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to live it out? The last thing I'll say is this. Sometimes it helps me to contrast what joy really is. Joy, the opposite of joy is, is not sorrow. Some people think that. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. In uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe in Narnia, right, it's uh, the white witch, the, the entire land is always winter, never Christmas. In other words, the, the hope has been stolen. But what this means, we are not hopeless. The cross of Jesus means the end of our sin the resurrection means it won't always be this way and we can live in that joy and through, through the assurance of our faith out into the world as we sip, taste, rest in that love. That means, friends, I have a lot of hope. I'm excited about what's next. I'm excited because the joy comes in the morning because there's, there's life after darkness. And the world, if this is true, the world will be all right one day. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to be the next day. But one day it will, and therefore we can live in that hope and do something about it in the meantime. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the danger of what we just talked about is we're talking about joy. We're talking about it theoretically. We're talking about it ethereally and conceptually. And yet, it's not the same thing as tasting and seeing. Uh, Father, I can't do that. Only your spirit and working in the lives of, of each one of us can, can make that real. I pray that the concepts and the promises that some of us have read a long time, some of us it's brand new to, that we would actually say, whoa, this is different. This changes everything. I pray that it leads us to have a kinder response to somebody when we normally would, would scream back at them because you didn't scream at us. I pray it means letting somebody else off the hook because we've been let off the hook. Not, Father, fret people who don't care about justice. We desire justice so much because we want to see the world fixed and remade and renewed. That's what joy in the city means. But we do it with, not with vengeance, but with forgiveness and reconciliation on our tongues. I pray we would be a people that live that out, Father. This is, it's, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes because this city is formed in rag different ways, and I want to love it. I want, I want everybody here to participate in it and be part of it, but help us to battle the cultural idols that are here that are not just out in the world but are in our hearts too because we've somehow bought into that lie that maybe if we just got enough, then we'll be okay, and it, 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 it's not the truth. Only enough of you would that really change us? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. 
and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.